0: what are they thinking? Why would they do something like that? Wouldn't it be nice to know what's going on on the inside of someone's head and understand just why they do the things that drive you crazy? You're in luck. Welcome to my series on how to get along with people based on their Enneagram type, my favorite personality test that is so incredibly spot on. It's going to blow your mind. I share with you literally how to get along with each type, and even interview someone from each type so you can get the tea straight from the source. Welcome to Create Your Fate. If you have been coasting through life, but are ready to make small conscious changes to step out of fear and into living your best life ever, this show is for you. Who am I? I'm life Coach Meg Ellis, here to help retrain old self-limiting beliefs into a positive mindset, so you can confidently become the person who you want to be by first understanding who you already are. How? By using the law of attraction in my favorite personality test, the Enneagram. And I'll even teach you some mind tricks along the way. Ultimately, I guide you to stop thinking about what you don't want, and instead focus on what you do want. You can create your best life ever, and it begins with your mind. Are you ready? It's time to create your fate. All right, let's get into the mind of an Enneagram 5 so we can understand what's going on in there. Honestly, I decided to do this series because I kept finding myself in conversations with people who were trying to understand their loved ones and I would give advice based on their Enneagram and it seemed to really help. So I figured, hey, what better way to help everybody than dedicate an entire podcast series to it? And if you're new to the Enneagram, check out mini episode 125 to learn all about the basics of an Enneagram 5, who is also known as the investigator. The core desire of a 5 is to be competent and capable, and their core fear is being helpless or useless. I'm going to be sharing some additional information on how to get along with Enneagram 5s that comes from one of my go-to sources, nine types, and then we'll hop right into my interview with an investigator. Okay, so fives. Investigators are analytical, curious, and alert. They are typically independent, innovative, and inventive. How to get along with me. Be independent and not clingy. Speak in a straightforward and brief manner. I need time alone to process my feelings and thoughts. Remember that if I seem aloof, distant or arrogant, it may be that I'm feeling uncomfortable. Make me feel welcome, but not too intensely, or I might doubt your sincerity. Today, my friend and client Julia joins me to share what goes on in the mind of an Enneagram 5. True to Enneagram 5 form, she is a self-proclaimed data geek. She is a mom to three pups, and she loves to travel the world. Ready to dive into the mind of an investigator? Check it out. Well, thank you, Julia, for coming on to the Create Your Feet podcast, my beloved Enneagram Five. (laughs) Thank you, Meg,
1: for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Of course. There's no better five than you. And I hope that you didn't overthink this podcast recording too much before hopping on here.
1: (laughs) I might have been looking for my pre-read and pre-work, and for some reason, you chose not to provide any of that to me.
0: (laughs) Right. I wanted to catch you in raw form, you know, of the inability of stripping away your overthinking ability. So as a five, as an overthinker, you're like the the queen of the overthinking as a five, right? Because you're in that thinking triad, right? Five, sixes and sevens all are in that thinking triad, but your core fear and your core desire are all around competence. You want to be competent and you want to be the expert or the master at something. So Talk to me about how overthinking has played a role in your life.
1: I think it's consistently played a role, right? So when, when I think about, you know, if someone asks me if I'm good at writing, which is for me not a core competency, right? It's not something that I love to do. And I will absolutely say, no, I'm not great at writing. And yet, if you look at the writing I do, if you look at the feedback I get both in a professional setting at work And in the academic setting where I'm currently doing a master's degree, when you talk about, you know, wanting more competence, you know, I get A's consistently and I'm told I'm very, very good at writing. But of course, I compare myself to the world's best writers. And when comparing myself to the world's best writers, I'm not that great at it. And so it is for me, you know, realizing that I always do that. So it doesn't matter what particular area it is. That is how I'm going to compare myself, right? I, and I have done that since I was a child. This is not something that is suddenly developed when I turned 18 and became an adult. This is consistent.
0: That's interesting, a lot of the comparison. So by seeing somebody else or being held to a certain standard for something, whatever the skill is, do you think that studying and learning how to do it more or better would help you then? And, and where's the end to that?
1: So if you ask me about learning, I don't see an end to it, right? So this is, I fully expect to be learning until the day I'm not here anymore. I fully expect to be continuing to look to improve whatever skill set that might be. So there is, from my perspective, no end to that, right? Because there's always something more to be learned, something different to be learned, a different set of skills that I could potentially acquire that would assist uh, whether that's in my core competencies or other you know pieces that I do, and whether it's athletic endeavors or work endeavors or academic endeavors, it's not a one and done kind of thing, right? It's not a oh I only do this in one part of my life. No, I'm good at doing it in all parts of my life.
0: Yeah, yeah. So is that why you know when you found out that the Enneagram Five is called the Investigator? That seems like it goes right in tandem with. There's always more to learn. So talk to me about. What is it, being an investigator, how does it show up for
1: you? So I think it shows up where if someone asks a question, I want to dive into it, I want to do research on it. You know, I'm the person that shows up the doctor with a set of, you know, research articles and research journals that I've done the reading on and I've done the investigation on and I can come in saying, right, I've done this. I've looked at this. I think that this potentially is the right protocol. Do you agree? Rather than going into the doctor and saying, I have this problem. What do you think we should do? So, you know, it shows up in all of those spaces, right? Oh, you know, I've heard about such and such. Great. Let's go look it up now online before it might have been in an encyclopedia, right? Times have changed. Right. We've less knowledge now. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, let's go look it up online and, you know, go down that rabbit hole and disappear into, you know, whatever that rabbit hole might be about a word or a place or a time or an individual or a theory. So if you,
0: and, and it could be a doctor, it could be somebody else, just even in a conversation, if somebody is, is giving you facts about something, how often are just their facts good enough for an answer in as a whole?
1: Almost never. Like, yeah, I mean, the reality is, so I think there's two things. One, you know, I have always been taught to fact check, right? The reality is that even if someone is saying something as fact, to a certain extent is a fact within their belief system or from their knowledge base. Right. And so from my perspective, it is worth going out and, you know, fact-checking it, seeing what others may think, right. Because there may be a critical piece of information, even if that person is an expert, there may be a critical piece of information they're missing. And so at least doing, you know, the litmus test of just pushing a little bit and seeing if it stands up, it feels completely reasonable. Maybe it only feels completely reasonable because I'm an Enneagram five, but it feels completely reasonable to at least fact check them. Right.
0: So it's not if I were, you know, giving you a fact and you went and fact checked me and then told me that you did and came up with some additional information, I might say, oh, do you, wasn't the information, you know, that I provided, was it not enough? Do you think that I'm not competent? I might take that personally, but really that's not your
1: intention. No. And it's really not questioning your competence at all. It's for me just going out and understanding is there other information that I should be aware of? Are there other questions I should be asking? That doesn't negate or diminish your competence. This is about my need for having additional knowledge, right? And additional information. It's not additional data points. It's not about your competence at all. It's about me having that need to have those additional points of information so that I can triangulate and feel comfortable.
0: So it's more of a thank you for the baseline information yeah, and the direction to go in, perhaps not necessarily a, this information is not good enough for me.
1: No, absolutely not. It's not intended to say it's not good enough for me. It could be fantastic information. And I've then, you know, had my interest piqued and I want to go find out more about it.
0: Right. Here's an interesting thing that I've, I coach a lot of fives and I interact with a lot of fives. And one thing that I found in this investigator-like behavior, it's not even an investigator, like I'm going to investigate later. Sometimes it's a, oh my gosh, I think I may have misspoke and I immediately want to correct what I said. And so let me whip out my phone and Google this right now or look it up. And what has your experience been with that?
1: Yes. So I mean, I do data and analytics in my job, right? So you know that I do data and analytics as my day job. Um, I'm very comfortable. You're a data geek. (laughs) I am a data geek by every stretch of the imagination. And I can give you an example this morning, right? I ran a set of reports this morning, uh, sent them off, and then was looking at them and was just doing a bit of fact-checking just to make sure, right? Because... You even fact check yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely fact check myself. And I found an error. So then I had to literally, two minutes after I sent this report off saying, hey, we can use this, I posted a note saying, and please hold off. I found a data inconsistency. I just need to research it, figure out what's going on, and I should be able to report back. And in 15, 20 minutes later, I was able to make the correction that needed to be made, reproduce the report, and send it out. So it's not not that I just fact check other people. I do it to myself, right? Like, this is what I do. I look at the data. I marinate on the data. I try and see if there are inconsistencies, and even when I report on it, you know, is it being reported out correctly? Have I missed something? Does it look right?
0: Why is it important to correct a mistake, whether it's somebody else's, and it's important that they correct it to you, um, or you correcting your own mistake? Why is it important to do that with haste and do it asap?
1: So, from my perspective, that information, right? So, data with meaning as information. That information is used to make decisions. So whether that's being yourself making decisions personally, or whether that's within a business context, and a business is choosing to make those decisions. From my perspective, if the information is incorrect, then you're making decisions based on incorrect information. And so it's important to have the correct information to be able to make those decisions, to look at that information, draw conclusions, and be able to move forward with it. And so It is about having the correct information.
0: And with the overthinking triad of it, right, the overthinking aspect of your personality, if there's information out there that you know is incorrect that still has not been corrected, where does your overthinking mind take you about what someone might do with that information?
1: I think it's twofold. So one, I'm very comfortable saying you can make conclusions around that, but understand that the data and the information that you're using is not right. And so the You might get it 80% right. It may be that it's 40% right, but understand that the underlying fundamentals are not right. So there's that piece of it. And then I think there's a piece of, if I know someone is starting with incorrect data and they're drawing conclusions or moving forward or making a decision about that, I will take that outcome and not necessarily fully trust it, fully believe it.
0: Do you ever think about what could happen and create scenarios in your mind, like five steps ahead of everybody, of what could happen if they had the bad information and, and it never got corrected?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is where it's always interesting, because from my perspective, doesn't everyone, doesn't everyone, you know, get a piece of information, dive down a rabbit hole, you know, find out what some, you know, that the word was invented in the 15th century and how it's evolved since the 15th century. And then, everybody you know, does that. yes, <laughs> everybody does that, right. And there's similarly, you know, you've made a decision. I've made a decision, right. There's been an outcome. Something's happened that I didn't expect, do I go back and revisit that decision and try and see how different scenarios could have happened? Yes. And from my perspective, that's a totally, I know it's not normal for other people, but from my perspective, that's a totally normal way to handle things, right? To go back and not only overanalyze going forward, but overanalyze in the past as well.
0: Right. It's like, oh, what did I do? Should I have done something different? That's right. If I had done something different, would it have led to a different outcome? And then you go down that rabbit hole. Actually, a good piece of advice that I had heard in general, but I thought it applied really well for Enneagram fives, is, you know, because your mind can always overthink after the moment. And most of the time, it does. It tries to. And if you're in that thinking triad, which I am in in that too as a seven, it's very easy to overthink. So the piece of advice was just, really being present in the moment as much as you can. So when you remember the moment, you can remember in that moment, I felt really good about my decision. So how would that piece of advice help you? Would you feel comfortable
1: applying it? I mean, I would probably feel comfortable applying it and I would have to practice applying it because I would continue to overthink. I mean, look, this is the reality that I sit with, right? And so as much as, and you and I have worked together and I, you know, am working on it. I... I'm conscious when I do it, and I still continue to do it, right? So I'm conscious that I am doing it, but I've also given myself permission to do it. So knowing that I'm going to do it, I allow myself to do it, and I put time limits on it, right? Oh, I don't that's have, good. Time limit. Right? So where I'm going to overthink. So say it's a relationship that hasn't gone the way I expected it to, right? Yes, I'm going to spend you know, the next two days overanalyzing everything that could have gone differently in that relationship, and then I'm done and then any time i then think of it post then i remember that i've put that time cap on it and while it may come up i don't necessarily anymore continue down the overthinking piece around it
0: yeah well, that's really good advice for any fellow five or six or seven or any overthinker who is listening to this podcast put a time limit on how much you're going to overthink so let's let's uh, this is kind of a, a different End of the overthinking behavior. But let's talk about our favorite phrase. Let's mull on it. <laughs> talk to me about mulling on information and decisions.
1: So, poor Meg, you've heard this once or twice in our coaching uh, time Just together. Once or twice. Just once or twice. So, I mean, look for me, while there are other people who come up with an idea or a path forward and execute it on it immediately, that's not how I do it, right? And I certainly have people in my life now who are now working on teaching me the word execute, execute, execute. But my typical path forward is that I start with a thought or an idea or somewhere I want to be. And I probably spend three to six months getting to the point where I'm then ready to execute on it. When I'm ready to execute on it, I execute on it quickly and it happens very quickly. But there is a period of time where I sit with it, think about it, decide if there's other pieces that I might have missed. I mean, doing all of those things that are very typical for an Enneagram 5, right, in terms of the overthinking, going down every scenario, making sure that I've covered all of the various bases in terms of coming to that decision or the outcomes associated with that decision, and getting to a point where I'm comfortable and then just executing on it. And the execution happens really quickly when I'm ready to Mm -hmm. But there is certainly a lag time between the, I think this is a good idea and I execute on that good idea. And I'm really comfortable with it. I know people around me are not comfortable with it, but I'm really comfortable that that's the way I operate.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if you think of it, the execution is just like the little piece of the iceberg that's sticking out of the water. And nobody knows that you've gone through three to six months of very deep exploration right investigation we'll call it of this particular topic right and my mind I can always learn more and more and more and more and more I'm the I'm only basically happy if I'm the master or the expert of this piece of information so by the time it comes out of my mouth nobody sees that that's all the part of you know that's underneath of the water of this iceberg so when people question your decisions how does that make you feel
1: It feels like I end up being put in a position to defend myself, right? Because I know I've done all this research and I've done all this investigation to get myself to a point where I'm comfortable that I am making the correct decision. And as people say, you know, why are you making this decision? Do you think this is the right decision? It's like, yeah, no, I've done all that work. Like, I've done it all. Like, I don't need to be questioned about it. That questioning could have happened three months ago. I'm at a point where I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: always say if, it, if an Enneagram 5 says it out loud and doesn't follow up with any type of addendum, trust it. You can trust it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I will have said, you know, I'm ready to do. So whether that's I'm ready to buy a house, I'm ready to move, I'm ready to go on a trip, I'm ready to start dating. I spent a lot of time thinking to get to that point, yeah. to be ready to say it out loud, because I'm not going to say it out loud unless I am really ready to execute on it.
0: Right. Right. So as a someone, you know, trying to communicate with you and get along with you, it's like, hey, if, if you are pushing the launch button, trust it. It might from the outside look, this is very spontaneous and kind of came out of left field. But it's like, no, 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 we've been mulling on this for six months now. You can trust my... Yeah.
1: And maybe the question to ask me is not, you know, why are you doing it? But how did you come to the decision to do it? Right? Because that then allows me to explain the investigation process that I've gone through to come to that decision. Without being defensive. Without being defensive. Like I, I will get defensive about decisions, absolutely. But if you ask it in that way, I will then be happy to share all of the research I've done. Right. <laughs> all of the thoughts that I have had. You have. You may be very bored at the end of this process, but I'm happy to go through all of the, you know, scenarios that I've looked at or the questions I've asked or the pieces of information I pulled in to explain how I can, you know, what got me to that decision. Or what got right. me to that action?
0: Right. So if someone is very curious, if there's someone who's a how it works kind of person, ask the question. But if not, you can trust me because I've done all of the, the research. Absolutely. And also, you probably have a track record that shows I know what I'm talking about.
1: I do. Yeah. I mean, I do, and I'm also comfortable acknowledging where I've made mistakes, right? And overthinking the mistakes, but that's a you know whole different part of it. <laughs> that's
0: that's podcast episode number two. <laughs> But one thing you had stated was what's hard about being a five is feeling bad when I act defensive or like a know-it-all. So even someone rephrasing that question to, oh, how did you come up with that? I'm curious, not attacking you. When does the feeling bad about acting defensive kick
1: in? I think it's, I mean, I think it's twofold. I think if I'm being questioned about, you know, so if I look at it, say from a professional perspective where. I pride myself on the quality of the data I put together and the the analytics that I associate with that, right? If you question my integrity on that, I'm going to become defensive about it because I have absolutely spent the time to make sure that data is in a form that is usable. And so, It feels like a personal attack and I will become defensive about it, right? You may not intend it to be a personal attack, but it will feel personal because I've spent that time with it and I've gotten to a point where I'm comfortable presenting it.
0: So another name for an Enneagram 5 is also the observer. So in your mind, investigator, but any social setting... Why is the observer, how does that resonate in your life, knowing that you're the observer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if we look at a Meyer Briggs in terms of where I get my energy, right? And I understand I'm now mixing up personality pieces, so you can... Oh, it's okay. I I support... Equal opportunist. There you yourself. go. It's all part of the same toolkit, as I would say. Exactly, you know, exactly. Just different pieces of the toolkit. So as an introvert, I get my energy from being alone, right? So while the world operates in a very extroverted situation, right, where extroverts are those that generally are those that are seen successful, those that are successful within the workplace, you know, and the people, you know, I fundamentally do not understand how going to a bar on a Friday night is anything but exhausting, right? So, you know, when you talk about me being the observer, if I go to a bar on a Friday night, I'm not getting energy from the people around me. I just want to sit in the corner and watch people, right? That is what makes me happy. The thought of interacting with that many people is absolutely exhausting because I then have to find out about them and I'm probably investigating about them and I have to, you know, show off about myself and I just, none of that is appealing. You know, being in a loud party is not appealing. I am really quite happy on a Friday night, sitting at home, reading a book, not speaking to anyone. (laughs) Just learning more information. (laughs) But it can also just be an enjoyable book, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, a book that is, you know, hardcore. I'm happy to read fiction. You know, and similarly, for me, if I think about it, like if I go to the movies, I don't, necessarily go to the movies to be intellectually stimulated. For me, going to the movies can be a quiet time where I am just watching the latest Marvel movie, and I don't have to be intellectually stimulated. I can just enjoy the moment and not be necessarily interacting with other people, sitting there quietly observing. Yes,
0: right. You can be around people, but it's more of a decompressing thing. Of, absolutely, I don't have to always be on all the time. Exactly. So, if someone if someone wants to get along with you, then you know, inviting you to Friday night party, you know, is probably not your scene. But a one on one is probably more
1: would absolutely be. So, you know, going and having coffee, going out for a dinner somewhere where it's quiet, not necessarily a noisy, busy restaurant, going for a walk, all of those things. Are quite enjoyable for me. I Also, going to you know exercise classes. So you know going to an exercise class where you're not necessarily interacting with the person next to you, but you can sit in the same room and see other people, but don't have to interact with them.
0: Right, you're close to them, but you're not talking to them.
1: <laughs> yes, that piece. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about? Um, well, that explains uh, Soul Cycle, then. It you does know? explain Soul Cycle, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What about trivia night? That that sounds like it would be
1: a fun thing for you. I think it depends, right? Because it also puts me on display. And then I have to prove Mm. that I have knowledge, right? Which is potentially something that will make me defensive if I don't know the answers to it. So I think it's a sort of a double-edged sword there. While some of it's quite interesting, and if I happen to be knowledgeable about it, great but then you're going to suddenly expose gaps in my knowledge. Like, I don't want that to happen. That sounds terrible, Meg, right? Yeah. yeah. The
0: first date idea with a five, no trivia.
1: How about no that? No trivia.
0: My story is quite fun, but yeah, no trivia. Yeah, right. no, no trivia. Well, that goes along with what you had picked with the how to get along with me. Is like, help me avoid my pet peeves, those big parties, loud music, other people's loud music. What about overdone emotion? Or intrusions on my privacy, that, those were in there too.
1: Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, it, I think there's, you know, when you talk about, and I talk about overthinking, I will overthink other people's emotions as well, right? And so those big emotions from other people put me in a position where I want to help address or solve those. And so then I spend a lot of time looking at those, investigating them, and taking them on. And so that is exhausting for me, right? So it's not simply that I can be sort of a person that says, oh, that person's having really big feelings about that. That's great. I can move on. I feel those feelings. I want to, you know, do the same thing in terms of investigate those feelings and then end up taking them on. And that then is exhausting.
0: And then you really have to go home and decompress. That's right. And hibernate. And hibernate. Yeah. (laughs) A hibernate for it could be a couple hours, it could be a couple of days, you know, depending on the level of the, the severity of the exhaustion, right? One thing I, I think is interesting after just observing the observers uh, as a coach, one thing I have noticed about Enneagram Fives, and I think this would be a really good piece of information that other people could benefit from, is every time, you know, when you go out to a restaurant and you sit down and there's a table for two. And somebody has to face the wall. Somebody is facing the whole restaurant, you know. And I think it's like typically like courteous to let the person sit facing the people like, you know, versus the wall. One thing I have noticed about Enneagram fives is they can be more present in a conversation if they are in the seat that is looking out at all of the people, which is ironic because as a seven, I would be distracted by all the people. So sitting and facing the wall is probably better for me. But do you do that? Do you like to sit out and observe the room?
1: Absolutely. Like my favorite thing when I travel is to go sit in a cafe and watch people. Because I think it is exactly like I can observe, I can have pieces of information I can take in data, but I don't actually have to interact with them. And similarly, when I'm sitting in a restaurant, I can see what's going on, right? So I have the information about what's going on. I'm not distracted about what's happening behind me. Is there something happening behind me that I should know about?
0: Yes. So this leads into my question I was I was leading you into that. I mean, I did not tell you about that before. <laughs> what you said you liked about being a five is being calm in a crisis. So does that add to it? You know, if a crisis happens, I've already observed the room. I, I know where all the exits are. I know I've probably profiled some people and, you know, okay, there's people over here, there's people 50 feet away, and there's a table for of two over here,
1: right? Yeah, I think it's that, And I think it's also, so if I think about being calm in a crisis, right? You know, there's things that you can address and there's things that you can't address in a crisis, right? So what can you address? And the things you can't address, let's not stress about those.
0: That's a good piece of advice for anybody.
1: (laughs) It is. But I mean, it's the truth, right? If you think, you know, if I look at airline travel, right? So for a lot of people, airline travel is a huge stressor. The reality is I can't control when the plane gets there. I can control my reaction to the plane getting there. I can control how I may react if the plane is delayed or canceled but I can't actually control if the plane is going to show up or not. Can I have plans in place for if the plane doesn't show up? Absolutely. I can have plans in place for that.
0: Because you already have your plan B. I already have
1: them already. And if I don't have them, nowhere to look for them. Right. So, you know, absolutely. I can have plans in place for what happens. So, you know, that piece of it. And the reality is if I don't get to the place, I don't get to the place. Right. In general, for travel, for me, none of it is a, a matter that, it's absolutely earth shattering if I don't make it somewhere.
0: Yeah. That's also, I think, goes along the lines of your boundary and your of your time limit of, I'm going to worry about this for two days and overthink about it. And then I'm, I'm done. I know I would be emotionally exhausted if I worry about everything because I'm going to overthink everything. So I'm going to dial it back in and only, you know, overthink the things that I can control.
1: One also acknowledge that I am going to overthink, right? So give myself that permission. So whether that's give myself that permission to overthink, give myself that permission to feel all of those emotions, right?
0: Right. Versus feeling bad about it. Like, oh, I'm overthinking. Exactly. Again. It's like exactly.
1: allowing yourself the
0: grace. Like I'm an overthinker.
1: Yes, I'm an overthinker. I'm going to overthink about it. I'm going to give myself the time to overthink. And then I'm going to say, all right, now I have other things to do.
0: Hmm. Fascinating. Was well, there any last piece of advice? that you would really love to give people who want to get along with an Enneagram 5, something that maybe is constantly missed, <laughs> that we haven't talked about.
1: I think it's just understand that we, we're we not trying to come off as defensive. We're not trying to come off as know-it-alls. It really is how we consume information and how we operate. And to understand that probably will make it easier to get along with us.
0: Yeah, Right. Well, I love that. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I think it was very insightful. I know I learned a lot. So I'm hoping that everyone else learned a lot as well. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Meg. That wraps up how to get along with an Enneagram 5. I hope it was helpful and gave you some insight into the mind of somebody who you love. Be sure to send it to your favorite Enneagram 5 or someone else you know who is in a relationship with a 5. And if you loved today's episode, please follow, subscribe, or leave a review. It really does help the show grow so much and allows me to continue to get awesome guests and episodes out for you. And of course, if I could leave you with just one thing, it would be this. Expect good things always and they will happen.